0: Before we begin, Sean did want to make some notes on this episode, so I'm just going to relay them to you right now. It's the first time that he did a talk in a lawn chair on his roof, and he thinks that maybe soaking in the sun made him sound like a windbag. I highly disagree with that, but he did want that little detail and apology added in. Not to mention, he's been to the cinema since then and was actually delighted by a lot of the previews that he saw. All the movies look very visually pretty dazzling to him. He kind of now wants to take it all back. Let's just add that note. And let's see how you feel about it. Because I think the, the the brilliance of this is to find out where the optimism is going forward and where it's not. And I think that's what I've been tackling with for a little bit now. And I I, I think it's interesting that... <laughs> you have one, one, I guess, source of information in your head and then, and then you see something else and then it changes all the time. It's, it, it is a constant struggle and it is a constant, I guess, discussion. So let's just get into this. I highly disagree with that. I don't think he sounds negative at all, but if you he do, he, he does want to throw out a little bit of an apology. Let's get into this though. Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, he's not only one of the most important cinematographers in the independent filmmaking scene, I personally feel he's one of the most important cinematographers in film. It's Sean Price-Williams. Sean, how are things?
1: Uh, Great, great. Beautiful day. (laughs) Ready to talk. Is this unedited then?
0: it's 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 pre-recorded so if something needs to be edited it can be edited
1: okay okay no no worries i'm just curious okay <laughs> it's sometimes, definitely sometimes i take i take work to make sense of
0: it's it's definitely not live but how how has the pandemic been treating you
1: i was fine last year was the first year where i didn't suffer any uh, depression uh, you know, cause, uh, I think like the whole world kind of caught up to me a little bit and sort of the existential crises that everybody felt so, sort of was like, you know, old news to me. So, uh, <laughs> no, that is a very, very glib, uh, terrible answer to that question. But, but really, no, I, I, uh, like right now I'm, I'm, I'm going through the annual, um, every project is now all of a sudden slated to be shot at exactly the same time and the things that I've agreed to do over the years now all of a sudden are like you know all green lit for the same exact time and I've made friends with all these filmmakers you know uh, over the process of preparing and talking about these things and now I have to like hurt some people and say no and it's just awful and last year it didn't happen so uh <laughs> it was like It was kind of a great relief. I'm realizing right now, like, geez, no wonder I was sort of happy this time of year last year, because I wasn't having to go through this selection process. It's really painful because uh, I I don't really do jobs based on like, you know, oh, who's paying the most or something like that. So it's it's not very easy for me to come to these sort of sort of uh, like which ones to work on. I don't know how to choose. But I did keep busy last. Year. I did keep busy last year actually. I was in Europe the whole year, so when it came summertime last year, things were kind of moving along and uh, I shot a couple of features and then uh yeah. So I was still busy.
0: Well now I'm curious how how are you going about choosing who you're going to work with this year? Is it is it strictly like a kind of a a script-based process or is it really who you've made the bigger connection with as almost a friendship at this point.
1: Yeah. Well, the friendships matter very, very greatly. Uh, you know, people that I've worked with before that I, that I just know that we, we, we will make something good together, you know, or at least I feel that way. And then there's the people that I've been just excited to work with for the first time. And that can be just as, you know, is uh, enticing, of course. So it's really, if there is no, there is no it, it it always ends up being just some sort of a gut thing. That that I that and I don't know. Yeah, there's not a real logic to, to the choice. Because I'm actually and the thing is that all these projects right now are, are ones that I'm excited about. I kinda wish they would have been happening over the last couple of years. Um but not just all at once. And then on top of that I, I've gotten like just this past week a couple more I, I'm not bragging. I hope I don't sound like I'm bragging. Um
0: not at all.
1: Because they're all, you know, they're all kind of oddball, all oddball projects and sort of, you know, curiosities and things like that. There's no sort of like, a, um, I, mean, I don't really think about like career um, progress <laughs> when I make these choices either or something like that. Because I'm not, I'm not really on a ladder toward, um, I don't know, like bigger and, more, you know, bombastic productions and stuff like that. That's not, you know, that's not really my trajectory. Also, yeah, also I'm trying to make my own movie, but the more I work on other people's movies, the less that, you know, that gets traction, less traction that gets.
0: I will say one that I'm I'm excited that you're attached to. I'm I'm now curious. Are you still attached to it? Is zeros and ones with Abel Ferrara? Yeah.
1: How is Yeah, that's done. It's
0: it's completely that's done.
1: Finished. Yeah. Like well, you know, it's completely done the day before it premieres. That's what Abel does. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we had a two week shoot, and yet somehow I've flown to Rome three times for it. So, um, you know, it's it's a it, yeah. It, it it we'll see. We'll see. I think it's pretty great what what I what what we did the color grading and and uh there's still some effects maybe that they're gonna work on, but it's pretty much done. I know this sound well actually no this yeah, what I, I saw I saw a movie, you know. The last cut I saw was a movie and it looks it has a look and it has a feel and it's I think it should please uh able table heads. And there are able heads out there.
0: You're you're speaking to one of them.
1: Of... I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. Well, me too.
0: Well, I'm curious. How was it working for Abel? Did you find this was a, a pretty easy collaboration, or was it a little bombastic at times?
1: It was easier than than I thought it might be. We, we've we've I've worked for him before on documentary things, and uh, and found him to be difficult in those kind of like shootings. He's you know pushy and and, uh you know literally pushing me around to get shots and it's like well wait i already got that shot actually i'm working you know and then i'm kind of missing things and we kind of and then uh but then he's always right in the end and he gets the good you know good stuff but it's sometimes like uh and i'm a sensitive guy and and his pushiness used to really i say every time i said never ever working with him again i'm never working with him again and then somehow on this last one i just understood that the uh it's his way of just talking and expressing and and getting things done. And also working with an Italian crew, the the, the one that we had, which was very small and, um, a lot of inexperienced folks on it, which usually I like, but it was driving him crazy. And, and me, you know, it was, it was, was uh, there were a lot of limitations that we were, we were normally would try to see as creative, like, uh, you know, uh, possibility you know sort of opening some but the crew is sort of not like that and so we were just getting a lot of like no it's hard no it's no you can't do this and then we go there and we do it anyway but it was like constantly a a fight more with uh i guess we had common enemies abel and i so we were on the same side (laughs) and and ethan too uh the ethan hawk who was in it uh not that it was like it wasn't like us versus them exactly, but it was you know it was a lot, the struggles were not between me and Abel, that's for sure. And I love and I really love I love the guy and I love spending time with him and and uh, the storytelling and stuff. And you know I, a lot of you know I've worked with older guys and and sometimes the stories you know you, you, at some point you've heard all the stories and you hear the same ones again and again. And, and Abel's kind of not he, I feel like he's got a million more stories. <laughs> And uh, I never get sick of it.
0: What do you feel like is... Actually, do you feel like it's easier to work with a newer filmmaker then? Because they're kind of fresh and you, you can kind of just me, work with each other?
1: Yeah, yeah. Me, that tricky answer. Let me just add one more thing about able. It was a quick shoot. Like I guess it was two weeks. I feel like half the time when we were on set, it was uh, me listening to Abel tell a story. Which may or may not have had any relevance to what we were doing, but it kind of, uh, I don't know, it sort of puts a, it puts a little sort of spring around us that, that makes this kind of, um, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, it may, first of all, it makes it feel like we're making something that does, it is gonna matter, matter and have a, have legs and be seen and all that's like, first of all, when I, half, no, half, like 75% of the movies I've shot, I couldn't assume may never get released or will never be seen. And, uh, you know, first time one, first time filmmakers certainly is more risk of that. Um, but to make a movie and then, and then, and kind of, uh, you know, to make a movie that we know may is probably going to get seen. It shouldn't affect the way you're working, you know, but of course it does a little bit. And then, uh, I, I've done movies with first time filmmakers where I was kind of almost sure that it would not be seen. And then it gets out there, plays with, you know, the car now, and then it starts to be seen more and more. And then I feel like, oh, God, I wish I would have um, tried a little harder, you know, when we were making it, knowing this. But, um, yeah, I don't know. No, Working with first-time filmmakers is, is, uh, is easy if you know why they're making the film and you trust that. I think that's what I usually say. It's, it, if you really trust that they have a good motive making this movie... And uh, then it's then, then I'm happy to listen to everything that they have, you know, like that, that they want to do. I mean, I'm be be their servant, you know, at best they can. but also to try to like suggest through my, you know, strange uh, experience, you know, because I didn't like um, do the do any sort of regular uh, sort of training and 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 have like a regular career that I fully from so. I, the experience that I, that I, you know, have to offer is, is kind of maybe unique and maybe it's, you know, I hope it's the best for the project. That's what I try to like agree also. I really want to make sure that I'm the right guy for the project. I've turned down projects that I say like that's just, I'm not going to do the best job. So yeah. didn't even answer your question at all. Of course, but the point, of is, course the point you did. is the point is that a, a first-time filmmaker who I don't trust. Hopefully, I've already I've avoided that project. But if I don't trust them, then it's a it's a really horrible experience, um, like the worst. <laughs> but it's it's really. I feel like I've been pretty lucky and, and I've had some good good choices. Even. And of course, a lot of my favorite films that I've worked on or shot are, were with first time filmmakers and they've not been seen by hardly anybody. I would say a lot of my favorite things I've done. And that's heartbreaking because, uh, you know, I'm also sent projects that are fully financed, um, that are going to be made by people that really aren't doing it for good reasons. And, and it really breaks my heart when I know there's like young people that are, that are like you know soldiers for the good cause and, and art, real artists that don't get don't get the, the opportunities because maybe they're not you know salesmen first.
0: Well, I want to take you way back now. You got your first camera at age fifteen. When did you first start realizing that cinematography might be what you wanted to go and, and pursue? And and kind of the lighting and, and the visual aspect of of film.
1: Uh, well, this this explains my kind of late late blooming, I guess, maybe because it was never ever the uh, the goal. I, I was always wanting to be the director, and I didn't even really know that cinematographer was a job. I probably until like uh, I don't even want to say I don't even want to put an age on that. It's so embarrassing. Um, but you see, you know, you see, you see legendary pictures of, uh, of directors behind the camera. And I think that when you're a kid, at least you think that they're the ones looking through the camera. So that first, yeah, first of all, I had to learn that wasn't true. Then I had to learn that the DOP even often isn't the one operating the camera. So that, that's, that's like still mind blowing to me. I don't understand that how a cinematographer is not the operator of the camera, but I know that's normal. Um, so yeah, but I, I just didn't, I, I wanted to be a director and then I, I just had this technical, uh, uh just, just basic ability of knowing how to load a film camera and expose somewhat correctly. So I ended up on a couple of projects when I first moved to New York. And, uh, and then I was really just, I was almost just lighting to get exposures because we would normally have maybe one light or two lights or something like that. And, and so there was no real style that I was chasing. And I still don't think I have a style that I'm kind of like settled on or feeling like I'm good at. Just lots of different things. Yeah, so I still don't want to be a cinematographer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it might not be really a style, but the way that you tackle and handle low-light situations and camera movement in those low-light situations, I think it's something... Everybody that that wants to make film, I don't care what facet of film you're in, should really learn what you're doing. Do you find it easy to work in these lower light situations, or would you actually like to eventually get up to these big, flashy, like well lit productions?
1: Um. No, I. I have no interest in in that, but in 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 the bigger productions. But I do have. Uh, um, I have to say, I think that it's just. I like to make my make it hard on myself. I I have to have the lens all the way open, so the focus is really difficult. And uh, I'm on a lens that's always too long, maybe, and it's so it even makes it. I'm just making myself uh, struggle a little bit more, and that could be partly just to like kind of keep engaged, just stay awake sometimes. No, I don't know. Again, these are like joke answers. Um, I, I, I mean, the low light thing is purely just because we just of, of, of coming up with like no means, you know, and not having a crew ever. I, I didn't have, I didn't have a, a gaffer or something like that until eight years ago, I don't know, seven years ago, I was always doing everything myself. And, uh, I kind of do that. I've been trying to do that actually a little bit more again, cause I actually find I like it. Um, actually the Abel's movie, uh, we had a couple of people helping out, but there wasn't a gaffer or, uh, any sort of traditional crew, camera crew at all. I did another movie in France last year with the, you know, a guy who was, you know, helping out, but not, he wasn't a gaffer at all. Um, so I kind of like to go back to doing things myself and that, that just means less stuff realistically, you know, if we're going to try to get, you know. Make the schedule. It's just less stuff, and I think that I like that more. And I like to do my own focus. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's but it comes from the documentary uh, upbringing I had, maybe a little bit too. Um, where you really it was like you know turning off or on a practical light was about all you could really do in a lot of the situations that I was working in. So it's it's that it's the means that we had. And I and I still feel like if you, if you give me a um now if you give me I shouldn't say this but if you gave me like a giant lighting package and a whole crew I I don't really I think I would tell half of them just to go home because I don't really think it's going to look better and I don't like overlit big movies and I think a lot of things are overlit and it, you know uh, yeah <laughs> but then if you underlight too much then it can be really flashy and music video-y and stylized and. You know, so it's like kind of, it's got to feel organically. The thing with Abel's movie is very dark, um, you'll see, and grainy and everything, and, and uh, it's very much by choice, though. I mean, you know, he was making me turn lights off, and I would say, yeah, you're right, okay. Um, and then in the grade, we're like, okay, well, this is what we got. Definitely doesn't look like Netflix or anything like that, so <laughs> we'll see the people. You know, I just feel like it, it, I mean, everyone says this, I'm sure, um, but everyone says this who also works for Netflix and stuff, which is hypocritical, I think. But you know, these things all look alike; they don't really have a lot of sort of um, distinction visually and stuff. A lot of the things that we're seeing nowadays. I don't want to go on any sort of tirade against the company, but because I don't need to, because they're they're all doing everything for the wrong reason, so just making money and controlling people's taste.
0: Well, I think that's why a lot of people think that you're such an exciting cinematographer is because you can tell within your cinematography that you don't like the overlit kind of stuff and that you appreciate dark and you appreciate going to those levels of film. And I think that that's really understated.
1: But, but I also, I also still don't know, you know, some things. I, there's a lot of tricks. I just watched a short film that a friend of mine made, choreographers, and it was just really brilliant and beautiful. And the lighting was like extremely good. And it was, it was like one source usually. And, uh, but just perfect. And there's, and there's still like, there's such control over quality of lighting. And, and just, you know, lighting a face, I still am always, you know, I always get stumped because I, I don't want to, take it out of the movie i don't want to take the face out of the movie but i want to also you know so it's got to be feel somewhat organic but i also want to make people look beautiful and so i get sort of uh i sort of struggle with that still and i know that there's a lot of other um cinematographers that have like fast answers for that sort of you know situation and i don't have those because i'm always kind of trying to like I don't know. Have a different have a different philosophy toward every project, so I just end up having no shorthand answers or solutions for problems. You know, that's a, that's one thing. So I'm I'm actually my I admire sometimes. You know, uh, the the like the knowledge that that these guys have for bigger bigger films. Even though I don't really want it, anything that I make to look like that. <laughs> I was, yeah.
0: Well do you find that you're really out there trying to I guess find new styles and, and not even find new styles just really I guess take in what's out there in in terms of new cinematography people coming up in in the industry do you find yourself out there always trying to find new things
1: like find new things for myself or from other people
0: well, just for yourself, it's, from other people. Do you? I guess. Do you still find yeah, yourself being influenced by other people?
1: Not by any current, um, maybe not by any current uh, filmmaking entities. <laughs> I really am, I'm really, I'm uh, really more than ever, sadly, uh, looking back farther and farther. You know, being inspired by people who are long dead, and and even musicians sometimes more than filmmakers and so yeah which I hate because and I you know I was, last week I went to see a few movies at Lincoln Center for the new directors new films for to for try I want to I want to like know that in corners of the world there's like you know great filmmakers and and actually the films I saw were well made but I didn't really enjoy them at all so it kind of like uh, you know I didn't know I was sort of frustrated with that but um yeah and like you know I I, I don't I don't I'm not, yeah, I'm not looking at peers that that are, that inspire me or anything like that. I think that they're, you know, the, most of them are better technically than me. You know, it's not every, I think every cinematographer is technically uh, better than me. And, uh, but, but I don't, I don't care about what they're doing, I guess. That's a pretty brutal thing to say.
0: I, I have to disagree with that, but.
1: <laughs> um yeah please please do I, everyone should disagree with that because it's a terrible uh you know sort of hole that i found myself in but i but i find when people are saying something they always like say about a movie like they'll use the word beautiful like people you know audiences and regular folks that i talk to about movies they'll throw the word beautiful out there and it's like it's like always for the same type of shots it's like the same aesthetic it's like you know um you know, so i like, I don't even know what that word means. It's when they say it. Usually, they say, "Oh, it's this Terrence Malik thing," you know, or, or you know, then this natural, you know, sun setting, uh, you know, flares and you know, twirling around somebody, you know, dancing, or setting off fireworks at dusk or something. I don't know, like what, you know.
0: It's it. I I don't know if you agree with this, but it <laughs> I've always found it weird that as soon as you put a camera outside people automatically are like, this is beautiful. Even if it's shot like shit and not lit properly, (laughs) as soon as a camera goes outside, people gravitate gravitate towards it for, honestly, I don't know what reason. And I think that's what's more powerful about your films. You can have a camera in the middle of a room with one source light and giving a cinematography that is so much more exciting and so much more groundbreaking than anything that (laughs) Terrence Malick has frankly done as of late if I'm being quite honest
1: yeah okay yeah yeah I mean um, I I hope I hope so I mean I feel I I get turned on by some, some images that I'm getting that I just sort of feel like I think I'm being turned on by them because I think no one else will like them And then if and then if I find out that somebody does, that's great. Actually, you know, then it's like it's like it's not vindication or anything. It's actually just like like oh okay, I'm not alone. But I mean, often it's that I'm like wow, this is such the wrong thing to do right now. I love it, you know. Um, And then and then maybe someone else will like it. So yeah, sure. But to do, yeah, to go outside and, and uh, you know, I, I mean, to be honest, like, yeah, okay, we're shooting in the middle of the day because the schedule has, like, completely fucked us and landed us in this situation. And, and you know, the sun is blasting and we can't wait. And I don't have the team to put up any sort of diffusion to, you know, cut the sun or, or, we, or our frame is too small so you can see the edge of it and it's, like, driving us, you know. Yeah, I'd love to, Yeah, there's always moments there when I'm like, now I wish I had, you know, the union card and the, and the crew. Okay. For a minute, you know, for one, for one half hour of one day in two weeks or something, it happens. And then I think, okay, and I would know what to do with this right now and I would know how to make this more beautiful. But then I'm like, but wait, I want this to look that way because it's the way it's supposed to look or is it because it's the way I actually think it should look? And then I, and then I can sort of fight myself and that, have that argument with myself. Like, okay. Of course anybody with you know, with any sort of face would uh, put up a, a silk right now and, and cut this harsh light on this person's face, you know. Of course. So don't do it, you know. But then that's just sort of like bullshit thing, but that's sort of I find myself in those positions a lot.
0: I wanna take you way back for a second. Growing yeah. up in Delaware did you find it was easy to acquire the kinds of art, and I mean everything from <laughs> from film to paintings to music? Was it easy to get the kinds of things that you were really wanting at that time growing up, or did you really have to try to get to get what you essentially were thinking in your head back then?
1: Yeah, where where do you where do you live?
0: I live There's in Calgary. In, oh
1: right, okay, I did, uh, okay, I saw that.
0: Yeah, up in Canada
1: okay i've never been to calgary So um, i don't know what exactly the you know cultural scene is there but i'm pretty sure there's nowhere uh, less with less culture than than Delaware but and maryland is where i grew up more maryland just across the border my family was in delaware and all but there was uh, absolutely nothing there there was a public library which had a handful of film books, which I was, you know, I'm sure if we went back to the library, you'd see my signature on them for like, you know, three years straight. Uh, and then uh, there was, and then crazy thing, it was like an oasis. This uh, video store was in Newark, Delaware, which, which they they just do such such a bad business and did no advertising, so I didn't know, I didn't know for a year that this 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 like, you know, absolute essential gem was there until i walked in one day i was 15 and then uh, i looked to my left and there was like a whole shelf of fox Bender. i looked to my right and there was a the whole shelf of bunwell and there was a good you know and i said wait a second why this is a college town but like why on earth how is this possible you know all these movies that i've been reading about that i couldn't see i would just read about them over and over look at pictures then that, that, but that that was it. That changed my whole life, was having that video store there, which I started working on when I was 17, and, and blah, 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 but there was, uh, and then actually, for music, which I was crazy about music, I had a friend that was, you know, hipping me to all kinds of music, uh, and then oddly, Best Buy used to have really great music, a CD selection, <laughs> so which is really hard for anybody to imagine you know, a big John Zorn section, a big uh, Ennio Morricone import soundtracks. Like, it was very strange that Best Buy had these things. So there was, like, these two little things that I was able to... But I was basically, I had to get out of there and move to a city. So that that was... Yeah, because I, I, yeah, it was, you know, not to sound like an old man, but uh, it was before uh, telephones. I mean, no, it was before the Internet. So... Uh, I didn't. We didn't have internet. I should say there was no. We didn't have any access to that stuff. So there was not really like a web at our disposal yet. That was a few years later.
0: Well, and then you went to New York, and you were even working at Kim's Video and Music. Do you feel like you you got to find even more artists working at at, at Kim's, or was it really the independent cinemas around New York? Were you no, going no, out yeah, every night? It,
1: Kims was everything. Um, it was like the it was like you get your pick of of the coolest people in town to be your friends, you know, if, if they're so willing. You know, customers and employees. It, it's all like you know they're there because they like that stuff. And I became friends with the music guys downstairs, and so then I become friends with their friends, and then I was going to music all the time. And no, they, I didn't know any cinema people. I mean, yeah, I went to the movies um, almost every day. For, for a number of years I did the schedule at the video store I would schedule it around like repertory cinema screening so would be able to like go to a movie at Walter Reed before going to work that night and things like that or going to MoMA when they were at Gramercy at the Gramercy Theater when they were under construction that was a giant that was a huge scene there and we made a lot of friends uh, when MoMA was at Gramercy that was a really beautiful little time um, and then yeah we were all kind of dreaming but Ronnie Bronstein, the guy I did Farmland with, he, it's a boring story, but like I met him through a customer at the video store and, and, uh, and we became buddies seeing movies, talking movies, and then making Farmland, which took six years. Um, and then that was the first film that we, that I worked on that got into a festival. And then, you know, then we meet Till Swanberg and Josh Safdie and, you know, South by Southwest that year. And then then we start to like, built form these little alliances and and uh, movie making like people who were actually making the movies. I think at Kim's we were all just dreaming about making movies and uh, you know we were so pretentious and so sort of like into like structural or these like kind of ideas like yes we're gonna make a 48 hour movie you know these kinds of things and then we don't do anything. But but going to the festivals it's like oh wait these are people actually like you know just putting their, you know, two cents together and actually coming up with a movie. Well, I didn't see them as movies, honestly. I feel like I, I've said this too many times. Like, I feel like I've never really worked on a real movie, you know, but I don't even know what that means at this point.
0: Working with filmmakers like the Safties or Alex Ross Perry, what do you think that you've learned the most from the directors that you've worked with?
1: um i mean that's uh is such a huge list of do's and don'ts i i probably because of my mood, I would probably start listing the the don'ts the things I've learned not to do from all those guys more first but but I don't want to do that but um oh i mean it's like uh i think Alex is really uh he he he's he picks great actors and uh crew that really work together really well. I don't know, his sets are really harmonious and that's something that I've seen other people really struggle with and and not, and yeah. somehow working on his movies are just a joy and then sometimes I don't even know what the movie is that we made, you know, like Queen of Earth or something like that but it was such a pleasure making it for her smell too, you know, it was like, for the most part that was like, it was the most fun I've ever had getting paid, you know, um, and it's because of, because of just the energy of the crew. And he likes to work with the same people again, which I also value. I think that's, uh, you know, can be great. You know, when you work with the same people over and over again, as long as they're, you know, good at what they do. Cause it does, it does create a very cheerful set. I think that's a great, a great thing that I would strive for as a direct, That the really production method and stuff based on some of Alex's, you know, methods I think are, are, uh, have been really key as far as if I do make my own movie, if and when. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 it, a, lot of, a lot of our collaborations just bolster sort of opinions and thoughts that I've always had, which is like, you know, um, do we need shot lists? Do we need, you know, these kinds of things? No. Well, what kind of movie are we making? You know, like, yeah, if we control the world... And, uh, you know, we have every resource. and yeah, let's make shot lists and let's, like, make the most, uh, you know, elaborate shot lists and make, you know. But we don't. We're dealing with reality. And uh, so let's be flexible, you know. And my favorite, you know, collaborations, I guess, are uh, filled with flexibility and spontaneity and impulse. And the directors that I'd like to work with, we you know, we can all kind of do that together. It's, it's, that's the best a bunch of funny.
0: Is this kind of where you want to see cinematography going? More like spontaneity, really?
1: Um, yeah, because I wish. I because I feel like you know I hear stories about uh, cinematographers, um, not being bullies necessarily, but but being sort of, uh, yeah, I don't know, picky about. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Again, I don't want to like say. The names and stuff but there's movies that are very celebrated right now that are you know a real photographic workout and you can see that you know black and white uh lighting cues and and cues for actors where they have to land in the exact you know and it's like well what you know what is this what is this service you know what is this service offering anybody you know the audience the actors you know oh like you know perfection it's really something that is that is, uh, I don't know, fascistic and and painful for me to watch actually, and I think that that's something that you know, I think that gets a lot of rewards and awards, you know, perfection, and and I don't and I don't see that as a healthy goal at all ever. It's it, it's there's nowhere to go from there, it kills itself, you know, and and I think that I think that too many people get excited about that, you know, perfection, and so. You know, certainly, you know Christopher Doyle or somebody. Let's say who is a, who is a, who is a great, a spontaneous, great, spontaneous cinematographer. Uh, you know, he's got he gives you images and and juicy uh, images too that that have nothing to do with perfection. You know, it's all like it's all energy. It's light. It's just it's being in the right place. It's making the right decisions, but it's not about like you know painstaking uh, perfection maybe maybe he has done that a few times and probably those are the movies that are his are worst um, but uh, I don't know yeah I think I think being able to swing with the I don't know I don't know what the expressions are I'm looking for I'm bad with that right now but it, yeah I think just being being a little more open to naturalism not like uh, realism or anything like that because that's that's another trap, you know, um, but, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What, I, I can't answer that question other than I just think that we need to not be worried about perfection so much. So that's really a, it's really a DLA.
0: I think that's honestly a perfect answer <laughs> to the question.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, trim all that other crap out.
0: Would you say that yeah. there was like a particular filmmaker or DOP or even a film that you were growing up that really, Changed everything for you That once you saw it everything was Okay Now now I need to go down this route what, Was it somebody like Godard Was it anybody like that or, or did you even have that kind of a moment growing up
1: um, I, I, could, I could really give long answers To these questions I'm just trying not to Because I, I can't be that interesting to anybody But they, 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 There's like <laughs> There's like a There's like you know, the moment when I'm 15 and I have my high eight video camera and I'm watching pure LeFou and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out how come what is in my camera doesn't look like that, you know? (laughs) And then, you know, and so that, that's not at all really connected to your answer. That kind of goes back to another part of the storytelling though. but like it was, uh, it was completely, everything I was watching seemed technically impossible. Um, To me, and I, and I just didn't really understand. So I didn't, so that's again, this is something that I'm still kind of, when I say I I don't know if I've ever made a real movie, it's still because I see movies like the movies that impressed me and blew me away, uh, as a kid. I still see them as completely unattainable and not in my world at all. Uh, so, so there, um, so I watch movies, you know, the our movie, if, if is my favorite movie, the Lindsay Anderson movie. It's my favorite movie since I was a kid and, uh, and, and it's still my favorite movie and I watch, uh, and the operate camera operator on that is Chris Mangus, who's my ultimate favorite cinematographer of all time. Uh, still, he's just absolutely, uh, I don't know, I, 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 I am just astonished at his frames always in movies uh, all the way up until very recently that he's shot. So 50, you know, 50, uh, more than 50, like 60 years of almost 60 years of stuff he's been shooting, and I like I, I think it's all completely untouchable and unattainable, and I'm just always impressed, and I like strive, and maybe maybe one frame in my career that <laughs> touches anything he's done, but I don't see yeah I don't see it it inspires me, but I don't see it as connected. I don't know, but yeah, Chris Mangus, he's he's the man. But Godard, but Godard, Godard, Godard is, uh, Godard is, 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 is is a super, 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 uh, superstar for me also. Yeah. And for his photography, because, you know, even if it's not him behind the camera, he's got so many ideas with the different films of, of, how he wants them shot and lighting. And, and it's really, you can't, there's not one Godard look or anything like that too. It's, uh, It's pretty, And still now, he is absolutely like whatever his next movie is going to be is going to be the best movie that year. That's just a a natural fact.
0: (laughs) Well, that's kind of why I brought up Goddard because (laughs) it it really has been decades upon decades upon decades of uncompromising vision. He is a filmmaker that he's not going to bow down to anybody. He's going to do the vision for, for that particular film every single time. And it seems like... How you approach cinematography every single time. So there's a lot yeah, of. I wish
1: I wish people I wish people would genuinely talk about him uh, m- more courageously and and not feel like you know oh yeah well Godard you know like oh you know what a bunch of hot air you know so even talking about Godard even saying the name with you know an attempted French accent it kind of already gets eyes rolling and it's not he's really not uh, I feel like he's not appreciated in, 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 a, in a good in a real good way i mean he's academically respected or something like that but the films are, are very beautiful moving uh deep deep rich and totally uncompromising that's right you said it i mean he's really just like and and that's like why isn't that more of an inspiration to people you know why is it that that people are more interested in in uh you know getting a big get a job with a big studio and just compromising you know and being compromised by, you know, the nature of what they're, of this kind of, like, scale of project that they want to do, and why is that, you know, always this sort of American goal for filmmakers? So as soon as they make an indie hit, they want to, like, start messing around with, like, you know, the big boys and, and making these compromise, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's like, you know, some people should, sure, you know, some people can, and some people are good with a big budget but not everybody should should aim for that anyway
0: well i think that's really what's endearing about your top 1000 films list you have a lot of filmmakers on there that are uncompromising and (laughs) they are filmmakers that truly have visions is this kind of what you look for when you're throwing something on that top 1000 list of yours
1: yeah, definitely. And the list has definitely changed from what you've seen. There's a, there's a, a drastically new draft from last year that, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of changes, a lot of sort of like standards have been taken off, uh, because I actually just can't stand them anymore. Um, uh, the thing that makes me crazy about that list, I get so angry is it, like, 75% of it takes, is from, 1969 to 1984. And I just, I hate that. I really wish that I was genuinely responding to a broader um, time frame timeline of, of movies, you know, but I feel like maybe that is the period when there was, you know, a lot more experimentation and, uh, you know, opportunity to just do crazy stuff with, with, you know, with a little budget, you know, or a bigger budget even. So, you know and there's a lot of filmmakers on that list that didn't ever make another movie too there's people that just like they you know they had their one chance some crazy person gave them money and then that's it uh you know i don't know i do i do i do kind of give a lot more uh space in my mind for those those stories you know yeah
0: well and starting that in 2005 are you <laughs> i guess a little bit giddy to see things like letterboxed come come full circle now when everybody is kind of doing what you started almost two decades ago at this point?
1: Yeah, kind of. I'm not cynical about it at all because, I mean, it absolutely is like... I mean, I know some, like, you know, younger cinephiles, and they're talking about movies that I just can't even believe. Like, they're teaching me about movies, you know, obscure Japanese and Brazilian movies, And and a lot of it is because of Letterboxd and this kind of, like, sharing of these lists and stuff, I think it's kind of great because it's, you know, it's taking away the, um, you know, the pantheon. It's let's say it's expanding the pantheon or it's like, you know, I, I was looking at a book, I was at a hotel uh, the other week and I was looking at a film book from 1962 and, and, you know, it was about international cinema, 1962. And, you know, you know exactly which movies they, you know, it's like the same old, uh, boomer, uh, boomer, you know, (laughs) cinema, cinema, uh, classics. And, and, uh, and I just feel like those movies now on that, those lists that we grew up as, as the staples. Now those movies aren't staples anymore. And I think that's good. I don't think that, 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 uh, you know, young film enthusiasts need to see Battleship Potemkin from beginning to end, uh, you know, or, Every Isis, any Eisenstein movie from beginning to end, <laughs> you know, there's now there's like, there's a whole list of Brazilian movies from the 60s and 70s now that these kids are like, you know, going after that. I think are going to teach them a whole new language, you know, which is cool. Very, very excited about that. But yeah, I think that, yeah, that's what the hope that the internet should have been, you know, providing. I don't want to, you know, and, and while it's on one hand making everybody watch the same three things on Netflix that we, it's also like for the for the hungry ones, they're they're getting lists and they're getting like access to things that that are going to change the way movies look. I think, hopefully,
0: well, finally, well, finally, Sean, what can we expect from you coming up?
1: Uh, well, you know, my contribution as director of one of these movies that's uncompromising. <laughs> but actually, uh, it's actually, I think it's a, to, to me, it seems. Like it's a very commercial film, the the one that I want to make. But uh, it's a good script by Nick Pinkerton. Um, but you know, I got to get the players. I got to get the people that that are going to be in the same attitude, the same you know kind of um, spirit to be in it. And it's uh, it's, it's very written. It's a very it's very te- uh, texty and very there's a lot of dialogue and, and monologues and things like that. So it's not it's not necessarily a lyrical typography. That maybe I would automatically think I should be doing or something like that. Maybe and also I don't even know if I'm shooting at myself. So that's the that's the I I probably will just because you know again if I if I can't understand being a cinematographer without looking through the camera I I don't know how to be a director without looking through the camera so. yeah, but that's it. So yeah, it's my turn to put my money where my mouth is, and, and to see if I can make a good movie. And if I do, I do a bad job, then I'll be a lot more humble to work with <laughs> for other directors.
0: I'm very excited for this. I think anything that you're you're going to come up with directing wise is going to be, it's going to be fantastic.
1: All you it's need. It's fun. It's fun. You know, I, I you know, we get back to the cinemas. You know, I was, you know, I was the opening weekend in New York and the cinemas reopened. And I'm like, you know, I saw a terrible movie and I was curious and I think like, I don't understand. Like why you know, this is like all about getting people back out. Like let's make like exciting like parties. These movies should be parties, you know? Yeah, they can be about death, they can be about politics, they can be about anything, but they have to feel like you're there like at a at a an event and I feel like there's been such a kind of lack of that and uh, so this is a very fun, very relevant party of a movie. And then, you know, yeah
0: do you think yeah, do you, Do you think now being through this pandemic and people realizing what is actually going to be coming up on the big screens as they open up, that the film industry is going to maybe learn a little bit from from the mistakes that they've been making maybe the last well, I, forty years
1: i think I, I think uh, it's become immediately clear that they've learned zero and they will just not and we have to give up on Hollywood learning anything. They don't even know how to make their money back. They just throw throw money at every problem. The whole the way they're dealing with, you know, the COVID scenarios and sets and stuff is just throwing more money, putting, adding people to the crew. I mean, it's like, they're just, they're, they're so, that, 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 I, I, <laughs> I really think that the best thing that could come from all this is if Hollywood just dried up and like, you know, and their seeds went somewhere else, you know, mostly to, to the ocean. Um, and we could start something completely new because their methods suck. And, uh, and I don't support any, 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 any element of how they're like handling this and the stuff that they're putting out right now It's crap. I'm so happy to, and you know, and, and I'm probably, uh, being very general when I say Hollywood and everything, because, you know, it's probably some element of Hollywood that's getting Cronenberg his you know, budget to make this next movie that he's shooting, uh, which I'm super excited about, you know? Um, but, uh, I, you know, I think that Leos Carax is going to come out with a movie this year that's going to be probably, you know, sort of awful and, and extremely exciting and amazing, you know? Uh, but that's like, that's because he's also uncompromising and, and great. So I don't know. There's, there's like, it's not, but it's not coming from, it's not coming from Hollywood. Whatever, whatever. There's been no, there's no lessons learned there. They're still like, they're still making them make all the same mistakes. <laughs>
0: Sean, I love ending on a down note, and I think that's a brilliant end. down note.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know what? I'll never get a job again. So that's but that's fine. Oh, that's better, you
0: know? that is so not true. <laughs> you, I, I firmly believe you are one of the most important cinematographers working today, and it means so much for me that you would come on this show. Um, anything that you ever oh, want to promote, you. whenever you have that film done, anything you ever want to talk about. You're always welcome back. You were a friend of the show. It's a complete honor to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Sean Price Williams. If you don't know his work, just IMDb that man and just are watching his absolutely brilliant cinematography. Um, He is one of the most important guys out there. And I think if you don't know who he is, you need to take take a moment and really go study his cinematography. If you do know who he is, you already know what I'm talking about. Um, and I really can't wait for ones and zeros, or zeros and ones, uh, from 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 him and Abel. This is gonna be this is gonna be one of the top films of the year. But uh, again, thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure. This concludes our broadcast day.